turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, starting with verse 16. We're glad to have Dean and Nancy Pearson with us today. They're come back to visit. He surprised me. I didn't know he was coming. 1 Chronicles 21, starting with verse 16. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their deep distress and fell face down on the ground. And David said to God, I am the one who called for the census. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? O Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, God, that it's life. We just ask you, God, to speak to us today. Lord, let me decrease so you can increase. Father, I pray that you just apprehend us by your presence, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say this with me. Capturing the heart of God. Would you say it again? Capturing the heart of God. How many of you have ever had your heart captured? You know what I mean? Just captured. I've got a little four-year-old, and she knows how to capture my heart. Any of you ever get in trouble before when you was younger? Did you ever try and get out of that trouble? You know, Vivian was with me at the playground here probably a year ago now, and uh, she was doing something, and I told her to stop doing that, and she continued to do that, and I said, Vivian? And she turned around, and she looked at me, and she said, I got a, Papa, I got a great idea. Let's, let's, and she completely changed the subject, <laughs> and it worked. It, it captured my heart, and we went, now, you, you understand you can't play God like that, right? But how many of you know that God wants to forgive us? God, how many of you have ever messed up? Can I get some hands up? I hate to feel like I'm the only one around here that gets things wrong at times. Thank you for those hands. The question is, is we have to begin to learn something about the characteristic of God and the heart of God. Because when you, if, when you had children that, those of you that had children in here, did you ever have children that messed up? I mean, as, as, as wonderful as they are, did they ever mess up? When they messed up, did you pull out their birth certificate and rip it up and say, I, I don't, I, you, I'm not claiming you anymore. No, you, you bring them to you. Now, now, hear me, because we have a big problem with this. See, we know that we would respond like that, that we wouldn't throw our kids away. And why is it that sometimes we view God that way? Like he's standing with a lightning bolt in his hand just waiting for you to mess up so he can take you out. That's not who God is at all. God wants to rescue us. He, he wants to change things for us. So let me tell you about David's dilemma. David, God had ruled that you are not to count Israel. And David calls for a census to count the people. And he gets himself in a mess with God. 
You say, well, Pastor, what's the big deal about counting Israel? I mean, we count here all the time. Why, why did God not want Israel counted? Because God did not want our trust in men. He wanted our trust in him. He didn't want man to begin to count how many warriors they had and then begin to gloat in their might and their power. And friends, we've got to be careful too. I'm all about being patriotic and American pride, but you better make sure that you remember that this is one nation under God. That the moment that this is a nation, the moment that this is a nation that is no longer under God, as Ronald Reagan said, it'll be a nation gone under. God will not be substituted. And so David begins to have them counted in his captain of the army. Joab is so distraught over this that he's begging David not to do it, but David's word prevails. Joab, Joab comes back and he gives a number to David, but the truth is Joab didn't count everybody. It bothered him so much he left Benjamin out and he left the tribe of Levi out. He didn't even count them, and he brings David back that number. And when David get, receives that number, God brings David into account. How many of you know that we're all going to stand before God one day? Amen. Somebody was clapping about it. Thank God. Thank God. We're all going to. You, do you understand that when we stand before God, we don't have to be afraid as long as we've allowed him to be our salvation? If we've trusted in him, it's going to be all right. But if we trust in ourselves or we trust in man, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And so David is standing before God. God sends a prophet by the name of Gad to David, and he instructs David. He said, you choose one of three things. He said, because there's going to be repercussions for what you've done. And he looks at him and he says, David, he said, you can either have three years of famine, three months of fleeing before your enemy, or three days of pestilence, the choice is yours. And David looked at him and he said, man, he said, I'm in a desperate strait. He said, I'm, I, did you ever get yourself in a mess before? And I mean, and David's recognizing I am in a mess, but listen to what he says. He says, let me fall into the hands of God rather than the hands of man because he's a merciful God. David understood something about God, and so the pestilence ensues. There are 70,000 men that die. God sends an angel to destroy Jerusalem, and David, through the eyes of the Spirit, God opens up his vision, and he sees the angel with a sword drawn over the city, destroying it. And this is when David went to God. And David goes to God and David says, it's not their fault. They're not the ones that did this. David isn't trying to shirk the blame. David becomes transparent and very humble before God. And he says, God, he said, I'm the one that did this. Let this fall on me and my family. Don't make them pay for it. And I'm telling you that when David said that, it captured the heart of God. Do you know what God is looking for? He's looking for transparency. He's looking for humility. He's looking for us not to point a finger at others, but to say, God, it rests on me. And when we do that, it moves the heart of God. As soon as David did that, God sent the prophet back to him. And Gad goes to David and said, David, God's instructed me to tell you to go to Ornan's threshing floor and offer him a burnt sacrifice there 
and he's going to stop this plague. David heads to Ornan's threshing floor, and as he starts down, Ornan sees him coming, and he bows low before the king. And David comes up to him, and he said, I want to purchase your threshing floor at its full price. I've got to offer a sacrifice to God so this, this plague will stop. And Ornan looks at him and he said, man, are, in his mind he's thinking, it's going to stop this, this destruction. And he looks at David and he said, i give you the threshing floor, man. I'll give you the ox. I'll even give you the wood to offer the burnt sacrifice. I give it all to you. And David responds to him. And listen to David's response. It's found in 1 Chronicles 21 and 24. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. Have you ever tried to take the cheap way out? And when you try and take the cheap way out, what usually happens? It ends up costing you more. David's saying, you're not doing this. I'm the one that got us in trouble. I'm, I'm not going to allow you to give this to me. I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me. Hear me. Sometimes we find ourselves in a mess and we feel like, well, what's the point of even going to God? I'm telling you, when you're in your mess, if you can worship God in the middle of that, you're going to find out that God will break that off of you, that God will change things for you. When I quit trying to take the easy way out, and I say, here I am, God. Use me. You ever do plumbing, trying to take the easy way out? I've, been, I've prayed more on my back under my house than most people pray on their knees. <laughs> I'm talking about some of those desperate prayers. Please, God. Please, God. Don't let this thing leak again. You know, when you get desperate, it changes the way you approach God. We come to God and we, we just, you know, kind of, ca- we, we begin to treat God casual if we're not careful. We, we just approach him and we, you know, hey, Lord, you know, how you doing, God? And things are going well for you. And, oh, man, I'm telling you, when you come to God, you need to give it everything you've God. Somebody say, all of me. Now, have you ever done something and your intentions were good, but it didn't turn out so good? Anybody ever been there? Where all of a sudden you think, well, I got good intentions here. So there's a guy in Scripture, his name is Jonah. And Jonah is full of good intentions. God comes to Jonah, and God tells Jonah, he said, Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh and tell them in 40 days I'm going to destroy this city. And Jonah jumps up 40 days, and Nineveh dies. He heads the other direction. He doesn't go to Nineveh. He's got this figured out in his mind. Nineveh had tortured Israel, man. Nineveh was a prime enemy of Israel. So Jonah thinks in his mind, all I've got to do is avoid God for 40 days, and Nineveh is going to get what they got coming to him. 
Oh, come on. How many of us hadn't prayed that way to God before? You know, we come before God. Hey, God, I just want to talk to you about, you know, that brother over there. You, you, you know who I'm talking about. And I just, you know, I'm just telling you, I got it worked out how you could really fix him. We, we, we forget God's character. God doesn't want to destroy us. God wants to save us. He's not trying to put us down. He's trying to raise us up. And so Jonah heads in the other direction. All I got to do is avoid God for 40 days. Good luck with that. He takes off. He gets in a ship, hits to Tarshish. All of a sudden, a storm comes up. How many of you ever discovered that trying to run from your trouble doesn't cause your trouble to go away? It just follows you, right? And so now a storm comes up, and when that storm comes up, that ship is getting tossed around like a rag doll, man. The guys on that ship have thrown everything overboard. Everybody's calling on the name of their God, and they all served a bunch of different gods. They finally find this guy down in the bottom of that ship, cuddled up, sleeping, and they think, man, what is wrong with you? And they wake him up, get up, call on the name of your God. And all of a sudden, they draw lots. Everybody say straws. Did you ever get the short straw? Typically, if you got the short straw, it meant you're to blame. Jonah got the short straw. And they looked at him, they said, what did you do? What's going on here? Who are you? And he said, he tells them who he is. He said, well, I'm a prophet of a God that's over the land and all the sea. You talk about some folks getting nervous, man. They're getting tossed around on this sea. And now Jonah tells him that his God is the one that controls the sea. And they say, what do we got to do to get, to, to, for this storm to stop? And Jonah looked at him and said, throw me overboard. When's the last time you were on a good ship and asked somebody to throw you off of it? You ever been on a cruise ship? Wave your hand if you've ever been on a cruise before. You know what I'm talking about? I was on a cruise that had a balcony. I'm leaning over that balcony. Man, nothing but ocean. It's dark. Wanted to make sure my wife was all right with me. <laughs> all it'd take is a little, <laughs> and there you go. And it's happened, folks. It's happened. This guy says, throw me overboard. The last thing we want to do is someone to throw us over. But watch this. Because what Jonah says sounds a lot like what David did. David said, it's not their fault. It's mine. Jonah got very transparent, very humble. And he said, if you want to survive, toss me into the ocean. They didn't want to. They started struggling to try and get the boat to shore, but they couldn't do it. And finally, they grabbed Jonah up and prayed, God, forgive us, and they threw him over. Have you ever been swallowed by a whale? I know you're looking at me saying, well, that's kind of dumb. That, I mean, that only happens to Jonah, right? wrong. Take a look at this. No. Watch again. No. Man, can you imagine what those people were thinking when they saw that? That guy, did you see that guy get off down off of his 
boogie board or whatever that was, his surfboard. He's, getting out, he's thinking, I'm getting ashore as quick as I can. That thing came up. They got, that kayak got over a pod of fish that that whale was feeding on. And that whale wasn't after them. He was after those fish and came up and swallowed them up. Now, they were okay, so you can breathe easy. But they won't soon forget that. I'm telling you, when that whale got a hold of Jonah, it changed Jonah. What are you getting at? How many of you have ever felt like your problem swallowed you up? Your situation just came and sucked you right down. Jonah begins to call on God, but he's not running from God now. He's got a whole different attitude. Listen to what he says. This is in, in the book of Jonah, starting with chapter 2, verse 2. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters were closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone." You didn't catch what just happened or you'd be excited right now. What are you talking about? Do you, do you see what happened? Jonah cries out to God in the belly of that whale. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. He said, out of, out of the belly of hell I cried. He's in torment. He begins to cry out to God, but something else happens. Jonah's just not crying out to God. Jonah does something that nobody's expecting. While he's in the belly of that whale, he begins to sing praises to God. You see, sometimes we don't worship until after God has done it. Well, can I tell you, you're prolonging your miracle. If you could learn how to worship while you're in the belly of the whale, if you could learn how to praise God in the middle of your circumstance, if you'd quit waiting for God to set you free and begin to love him and worship him right where you are, how many of you know that it's going to change things for you? It changed things for Jonah. What happened when Jonah started praising God? Well, you can read it. The Bible said that the Lord commanded. Everybody say commanded. The Lord commanded the whale to spit him out on shore. If you want the devil off your back, start worshiping God. And God will cause him to spit you up. He said, get your hand off of him. He's got a changed heart. He's got a changed mind, and he's ready. Son, when Jonah got out of that whale, he went into Nineveh. He is bleached out. He'd been in there for three days. Stomach juice is eating on him. I don't know what he looked like or what he smelled like. All I know is when he went into Nineveh and saying 40 days and God's going to destroy this city, everybody repented. If you want God to change your situation, you have to capture his heart. David captured the heart of God with humility and transparency. Jonah captured the heart of God by worshiping him in the middle of his mess. Let me ask this question. I know we've raised our hands a few times today, but how many of you ever got in a mess that was all your fault? Hold your hand. I mean, you know, you, you've got to admit you wound up there and it was your fault you were there. 
Do you ever discover when it's your fault that you're there, it's a lot harder for us to go to God with it? If it's somebody else's fault, if it's your fault, then I'm going through what I'm going through. I got no problem with going to God over you at all. God, you need to let her have it. You just need to, I mean, she hasn't done right, and you know what she's done. But when it's here, but that's what captures the heart of God. When we lay aside trying to defend ourselves or trying to hold up our reputation and just saying, God, I messed up, man, and I need you right now. Everybody say, I need you. When you capture the heart of God, it does something. Psalms 22 and verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Somebody say inhabitest. It's a Hebrew word, yashab. This is what it means. It means to set down. Everybody say set down. It means to dwell, it means to remain, and it means to marry. How does that all play out? If you're in a mess and you begin to worship God in the middle of your mess, it causes God, it causes God to show up. He inhabits the praise of Israel. So when, he, when you praise him, he comes and he sets down. He dwells there. He remains there in your worship. And guess what he does? He goes. He marries you. He holds on to you. He doesn't let go of you because you're worshiping him. I'm just going to let her worship a little while longer. <laughs> Say, well, what's that got to do with a seat? We. We read those things, but we don't make them applicable to our life. We, we treat it like it's a, a scholarly study. But this is about real life. So if you go into the New Testament, you discover a woman there, and she's a Canaanite. She's from Canaan. And she has a daughter that's grievously vexed with the Spirit. And she goes to Jesus, and she goes to Jesus, and she says, Lord, you've got to help me. And this is what happens. Come here a minute, Tammy. Start, start yelling. Lord, you got to help me. You're not yelling loud enough. <laughs> the, Jesus walks away from her. He completely ignores her to the point that the disciples are looking at Jesus and going, would you send her away? She keeps following us around here, hollering after us. Just send her away. And the Lord looks at his disciples and says, I'm only sent to the lost house of Israel. But then something happens that's going to change everything. All of a sudden, that woman runs up and she falls at the feet of Jesus. 
Don't ever sit on the front. <laughs> she, she, she falls at the feet of Jesus and she begins to worship him. Everybody say worship. Do you know what the word worship there means in Greek? It means to lick the hand like a dog. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she, she, uh, she just, she begins to worship and the Lord looks at her. She's worshiping him and he looks at her and he says, it's not right for me to cast the children's bread to dogs. Man, if you'd have called a woman a dog, yes. son, she got up and slapped you. She doesn't do that. She doesn't, she doesn't get up and storm off. She looks at him and she says, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And when she said that, it did something. It captured the heart of Christ. And man, he couldn't help himself. See, we don't understand what's going on because that's out of character for Jesus. But Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, I've got sheep from another flock that you don't know anything about. I've got to bring them in and then there's going to be one one fold and there's going to be one shepherd but he had not been crucified yet he had not paid the price for us yet and so he could only come to the Jews it's not that he's saying I'm not going to have anything to do with you he's saying it's not time but when she started worshiping him it made him lose all time constraints when she started worshiping him it captured his heart and he looked at her and he said your daughter's well right now right now she's all right what are you saying you want a miracle begin to worship God you want God to get you out of your mess quit waiting for it to happen and worship him right in the middle of it because when you begin to worship God where you're at it captures his heart anybody can worship God when everything's going right but what about when it's going wrong and it doesn't get much wrong I started to say wronger that's not a word it, 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 it doesn't get much worse than this. A man is dying on a cross next to another man that's dying on a cross. And in between them, Jesus is dying on a cross. And he looked at him while one of them is cursing him the other looked over and said, why are you doing that? Man, he hasn't done anything wrong. We're getting what we deserve, but not this man. And he looked at me and said, remember me. Why would you ask a man that's dying to remember you unless you understood that he was more than a man? Unless you recognized that the mess you were in had no hold on him. And he said, remember me. And Jesus looked at him. <laughs> do, do, you, do you understand what he's doing? It's an act of worship. Remember me. I need you, God. Jesus, I need you. Remember me. I know I've never done anything that was worthy of your love, but remember me. I, I've never called your name out to others, but please remember me. You want to see the compassion and the grace of God in full display? When that man said that to Jesus, it captured his heart. And while he's breathing his last breath, he looked at him and said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And then instead of, instead of his voice trailing off in the 
the distance and, and, and sounding like someone that, had not, that didn't have full capacity, that, that was weak and was frail and was dying. He cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. Can I tell you today that the devil is finished? Can I tell you that what tried to hold you can't keep you? It's finished. He's a God that's bigger than your circumstance. He's bigger than your situation. He's more than able to take care of you. It's time for us to stand on our feet and begin to worship him and say, I'm going to cry out in the middle of my situation. I'll cry out from the belly of hell and God will cause it to spit you out. I never want it to spit so bad right now in all my life. <laughs> Do you ever get tired of it? Tired of the grind? Tired of what you're going through? Did it ever occur to you that maybe you don't have to go through it anymore? Well, I don't, I don't get that. Well, no, it's because we can't save ourselves. But there's one that can save us. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. Remember, when you worship, it captures the heart of God. Some people miscalculate worship. They think that worship is supposed to just be about an overflow of your joy. Huh. Jonah wasn't happy about anything. Jonah just made up his mind. I'm going to sing praises to him of thanksgiving right here where I'm at because I know God is bigger than what I'm going through. Would you stand with me today? So this is my question for you today. Do you want to capture the heart of God? See, the first thing that usually happens is we, this, this thought will come across our mind very quickly. How could I possibly capture the heart of God? By just being real with him. By just being open and transparent before him. I'm pastoring a church today, but if you go back in my life, I wasn't doing that. I was a teenager that had been rebellious and not as rebellious as some of you, but <laughs> I had my own mess going on. And I remember I got to the point where I just wanted to do something for God. I asked my brother, I said, could I be the janitor at the church? He looked at me and he said, what? He knew what my room looked like. <laughs> See, this wasn't for me. This was for him. We didn't have a big fancy church like this. We had a little storefront, linoleum floors and metal fold-up chairs. Daryl would drop me off there on a Saturday morning, and I'd go get a mop bucket, one of those rag mops, you know what I'm talking about. Tony, I working one of those things before you was born, probably. <laughs> I remember, I I'm not saying I was good at it, but I was working it. And mopping that floor and singing a song, Jesus, use me. 
please don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. For though the cost be great, I'll work for you. I'm telling you some of the most powerful encounters I had as a young boy was mopping that church. God's just looking for us to be real before him, to be transparent before him. Today, how many of you would like to capture the heart of God? This is what I want to invite you to right now. See, I, when I say stuff like this, I don't mean it in abstract terms. I'm talking about literally capturing the heart of God where that God is looking your way and he extends a hand to you to turn things around in your life. Here's the good news. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. You could have blown it, man. You could have done something wrong and you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. All you got to do is worship him and come before him and say, I'm sorry, God. You could have run from God and headed in the other direction and you find yourself swallowed up by your circumstances. It doesn't matter if you begin to worship God from the depths of your heart. God will cause those circumstances to spit you out. You may have family trouble and things aren't going the way you want them to go and you're trying to help, but it seems like all your help isn't working. All you got to do is turn it over to him, begin to worship him, and he'll set your family free. So if you want to capture the heart of God today, I'm going to invite you to come to the front of this building and stand with me for just a moment. And in a moment, we're going to worship together. We're going to find out that when two or three are gathered together, <laughs> it can capture the heart of God. So as they sing this, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I really want to capture God's heart. I want my life to make a difference. I, I don't want to be driven by those things that are around me. I want to be able to trust him. Would you come right now just very quickly, very quickly as they begin to sing this song? See, it's not about me and them. It's about me and him. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. My heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. I'm going to give him just another moment. As you're coming here, here's the good news. You didn't leave your mess in the seat. You brought it with you. Because when you worship him, he reaches in to set you free from what's trying to hold you back. He didn't say, I want you to get it all straightened out and get it worked out and then come to me. He said, whosoever will, let them come to me. And I'll do what? I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll lift this burden off of you. I'll break this chain that's wrapped around you.
I'll lift you up from what's trying to take you down. Are you ready? Would you raise your hands to heaven with me right now? All across this building, you're the only one that can capture God, capture the heart of God. Begin to pour out yourself to Him right now. Go on. My heart is yours. Take it all. like there's no one standing around you but you close your eyes and it's just you and God I got going down the highway one time out of Little Rock and I had to after about 10 minutes I had to look up and find out who was driving the car his presence was so strong in there and I thought God that you would come in here with me I mean who am I I'll tell you who we are we're his kids and he loves us. She raise your hands to heaven with me right now. God, I just speak peace. vocabulary for it. 
You don't know how to bring it together. And God said, that's all right, because I'm just looking at your heart. And when I see your heart opening up to me, and I see your heart crying out to me, that speaks words louder than your mouth is ever going to be able to speak. So as you just stretch your hands to him right now and say, here I am, God. Here I am, God. Thank you. And oh, to Jesus I surrender. his focal point was no longer his mother. He was seeing an environment that he was not familiar with. And it frightened him. Throughout life, there are going to be times when we find ourselves in environments we're not familiar with. And it tends to frighten us. But that's okay. Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But I'll be with you 
to the very ends of the earth. So what that lets me know is this. When I find myself in situations that I'm unsure of, I know I'm not alone. And so rather than focusing on my situation, I focus on the one that came into it with me because I know he's going to bring me out of it. Today, as we raise our hands one more time together, I want you to pray this prayer. Show me, God, how to capture your heart. I, I don't want to just hear a message. I, I, I want to apply it to me. I want to apply it to me. Last night about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was in here. I couldn't sleep. And I felt like God was trying to tell me something. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just get in his presence and begin to worship him. I love you, God. I love you, Lord. And as you do that, you're going to find that he begins to envelop you. That big old whale that's got you in its mouth can't hold you any longer. It's got to open up and set you free. Come on, raise those hands to heaven with me one more time. Father, we thank you because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord.